Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. The Peter Schiff Show. Today's podcast is sponsored by Novo. Novo is powerfully simple business checking. You're making something new with your business. And to support you, Novo has built a new kind of business checking. To get your free business checking account in just 10 minutes, go to novo.co slash goal. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Outer. Outer makes some of the world's most beautiful, comfortable, and innovative, high-quality outdoor furniture. And it's all made from sustainable materials. And it's the only outdoor furniture with a patented built-in cover to make protecting it effortless. And for a limited time, now you can get $300 off and free shipping at liveouter.com. When I recorded my last podcast on Friday after the close with the Dow down better than 900 points, I thought we could be in for a pretty rough Monday. I was particularly concerned about the tech stocks and I thought investors in tech should have been very worried over the weekend. And it looked like I was going to be correct on Monday because Sunday night the futures were down, NASDAQ futures were down pretty good, and the markets opened lower on Monday morning. But then we got a reversal. The markets actually closed positive, both the Dow and the NASDAQ. And I think what led the turnaround was the news that the Twitter board had actually decided to accept Elon Musk's offer to buy all of Twitter for $54.20 a share. And I think the fact that the deal went through provided some sort of positive catalyst for some shorts to cover, some longs to try to bottom pick the market 
and we got a rally. Now, I don't know any other news that may have been the catalyst for that rally, or maybe there was no catalyst at all. Maybe some fools just decided that the low was in and they decided to buy these tech stocks. I don't know. But I think the most foolish move of the day was the one made by Elon Musk having to buy Twitter. Now, I know on an earlier podcast, I speculated that Elon Musk was just bluffing, that he had no intention of buying Twitter, and that maybe the board should call his bluff by accepting his offer. But apparently, I was wrong. I mean, you can't be right on everything. I got this one wrong. Elon Musk is, in fact, buying Twitter. At least that looks like his intention. Although, if you look at where Twitter shares are trading, they were down almost 4% today. The shares are trading for below $50 a share. And that means there is some risk because some investors don't think the deal is going to go through. Now, if it does go through, you do have an opportunity to make about 10% because you can go into the market now and you can buy Twitter. It's down again in after hours trading. But as I'm recording this podcast, it's just above $49 a share where you can buy it at 49 and turn around and sell it to Elon Musk at 54.20. So that's a pretty good return unless, of course, the deal falls through and then the stock crashes. That's the risk. I'm sure there's a lot of R out there trying to handicap this and making their positions. I think people should take the money and run. In fact, I thought people should have taken the money and run before this deal because I didn't think it was real. And apparently I was wrong, but I was wrong because I overestimated the intelligence of Elon Musk. Not that Elon Musk is not intelligent. I mean, he clearly is. He's way more intelligent than I am. I mean, I'm sure his IQ is quite a bit above mine. But sometimes smart people do foolish things. And I think Elon Musk's buying Twitter is going to end up being the most foolish thing this guy has ever done. He is going to live to regret this deal if it actually goes through. And in fact, as soon as I noticed this deal, I immediately tweeted, sell Tesla. That was the best idea I could come up with on this news because I couldn't imagine a more bearish fundamental development for Tesla than its largest shareholder buying Twitter. Because how is Elon Musk going to get the money to buy Twitter? Well, some of the money may in fact come from outright shares in the market right now of Tesla. So if you've got Elon Musk, who has to come up with $44 billion and maybe four or five billion or 10 billion, I don't know. Some of that money is going to come from selling Tesla stock because it's not like Elon Musk has all this cash. He has a huge net worth, but that net worth is stocks. And in order to make an all cash bid, it's not like he's buying Twitter with Tesla shares. He's got to pay actual money, which means he may have to sell some Tesla shares. And so Tesla shares are falling based on the prospect that Musk is going to sell. And if he's going to sell, well, he's got to take whatever price the market is giving him. And so you might as well sell now and front one Elon Musk and then buy when Elon Musk is actually selling and you'll get a much better price. And when I put out that tweet yesterday, Tesla shares were only down about 2%. So I think a lot of people didn't realize just how bearish this development was until they thought about it a little bit more. And today, shares of Tesla were down about 11 or 12% in normal 
hour trading as I am recording this podcast after hours shares are now down better than 13% about 13.3% on the day but there's still I think a long way to go for Tesla on the downside because I think what's more important than the fact that Musk may be selling some Tesla shares now is that he may be selling a lot more shares later if he gets a margin call because this is the main reason I didn't think Musk would be dumb enough to buy Twitter because I didn't think he'd want to put himself in a vulnerable position where he had to pledge his Tesla shares as collateral for a loan and that is exactly what he's done. He is borrowing $12.5 billion of the $44 billion he needs by borrowing against his Tesla shares. He is pledging 58.7 million shares as collateral for that loan. Now he owns 172.6 million shares. So not all of his shares, but a good chunk of those shares. And I looked at the current price of those shares and the collateral even after today's 12% decline is worth about $50 billion. So that's pretty good collateral, $50 billion for a $12.5 billion loan. Except what happens if Tesla stock goes down? What happens if Tesla pulls in Netflix? I mean, why not? By the way, Netflix was down another 5% today, new 52-week low. Stock is now trading after hours below $200 a share. The high was 700 not too long ago. Stock is down 72%. Netflix was a fang stock, still is a fang stock. I guess it's been defanged or doesn't have any teeth left, but it's still there. Maybe they can come up with a new acronym, maybe the gums. I don't know where you would fit Netflix in there. But what if Tesla does the same thing? I mean, it can fall from grace just like Netflix. I mean, everybody loved Netflix. It could do no wrong. It was the favorite of the stay-at-home crowd trade. Everybody was making money in Netflix. And now those profits are evaporating. And you look at a Netflix chart, there's no reason for it to stop falling here. I mean, there's still a lot of downside in Netflix. It could easily go down 90%, not just 72%. We'll see what happens. But let's say that Tesla shares went down 72% from their high. That would mean that the collateral for the loan would go from 50 billion to 20 billion. Now, I don't know what the covenants are of this loan, but maybe if those Tesla shares are only worth 20 billion and the loan is 12 and a half billion, that may not be enough coverage. That may require the sale of some Tesla stock. Obviously, if a big chunk of stock is going to be sold after a big decline, first of all, who's going to buy it? I mean, when you start shopping around this massive block and everybody knows that it's Elon Musk, who's going to want to buy it? I mean, if you're going to buy it, you're going to want a huge discount to the market price. And that huge discount in and of itself may trigger an even bigger margin call because now the collateral has been reduced in value even more. And the point is that the shorts know this. This is like waving a flag at a bull, or in this case, a bear, because if you know that there is a huge potential seller in the market, if the price just falls low enough, a shark can smell blood there. I mean, that's a very vulnerable position, and I think it's a feeding frenzy. This is a gift to the shorts, because I know the shorts got burned on this trade before. They want to get revenge on Musk. I remember when he was selling those shorts on his website to kind of make fun of the people who were short Tesla. Well, this is their chance to get revenge, and Musk may end up wetting his own shorts when he's forced to sell his 
Tesla stock because the shorts know if we just get the price low enough, if we pile on, because fundamentally the stock is way overpriced. It's all a meme stock. As far as I'm concerned, maybe it's the first of the meme stocks. Tesla was a meme stock before anyone coined the term meme stock. And so there's no reason why Tesla can't go down 72%. There's no reason why it can't go down 82% or, or more. And so the shorts know if we can just push the stock low enough, we are going to flush out these Musk shares. There's going to be a forced sale and we're going to have an opportunity to cover because a lot of times the shorts don't have an exit strategy. If we get a big short position, how do we cover? Well, you cover with Elon Musk. If you know you can force Musk to sell, then you have a way of covering a large short. And I didn't think Musk would want to give the shorts all this leverage. But now they have it, assuming the deal goes through, and it puts not only Musk, but all Tesla shareholders in a vulnerable position. So this could cost Musk billions, billions of dollars. I mean, I think his status as the world's richest man is clearly in jeopardy. Now, even if he ends up losing all this money, he's still going to be pretty rich. But a lot of his investors won't be. There's a lot of mom and pops who have big positions in Tesla and they can't afford to lose. I mean, Elon Musk can lose $100 billion, $200 billion, and he's still going to be pretty rich. But I think a lot of his shareholders can't afford to lose anywhere near what they're going to lose because they have maybe a good chunk of their net worths. And even though Musk has a good chunk of his net worth, his net worth is so high that it doesn't matter. His lifestyle is not going to change. But the average investor could see a significant diminution in their standard of living if Tesla shares drop 80-90%. But in any event, I think the deal itself was what prevented the big decline in tech stocks that I thought might have happened on Monday. Instead, that big decline happened today, on Tuesday. In fact, today was the weakest day in the NASDAQ since September of 2020. The NASDAQ dropped 3.8% on the day during normal market hours. But as I'm recording this podcast, we're down about 5%, so another 1.2% in after hours trading. We did get some earnings news that came out for some big companies. Microsoft came out in line, but Google missed on earnings. That's no good. Google's getting clobbered. Also, Texas Instruments missed. That's not getting clobbered. And so all of that is putting a damper on the markets after hours and extending the regular hours losses of a lot of these stocks and these indexes. The Dow Jones itself was down better than 800 points. That's 2.4% drop in the Dow. The Dow is now down 10% during this bear market. So back in official correction territory, S&P 500 down 2.8% today, now down 13.3% from its high, so deeper in correction territory. But again, the real damage, NASDAQ down 3.8%, that's 22.4%, new low for this bear market. If you include the after hours losses, we're now down 23.5%. Russell 2000 also hammered today down 3.2%. This is a new low for this bear market, down 23%. And the more extreme examples, the most overvalued, I like to look at the Kathy Wood Arc Innovation Fund down over 6% today, now down 68% from its high price. 
And in fact, in after hours trading, it's down more. It's now closer to 7%. The shares are trading below $50 a share. Again, this is a new low for this bear market. Closely correlated, the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust down 6% today. This is not a new low for the year, but it is down 54% from its high. As I am recording the podcast, Bitcoin is around 38,000, 38,400. I did see it trade below 38,000. So 37,000 and change so far was the low. But again, this market is going a lot lower. The leading indicators though are the crypto stocks. Everything related to crypto, blockchain, I mentioned this on the last podcast, is getting killed. Well, the carnage continues. Almost another 8% decline today in Coinbase. A new low for the stock. That stock is now down 65%. But across the board, everything related to blockchain and crypto just getting killed. And I think these are leading indicators for cryptocurrencies themselves. And I don't see how anybody who's invested in crypto can ignore this sign. It's like an ostrich with its head buried in the sand because it doesn't want to recognize the threat. And it thinks, well, if I just bury my head, maybe the threat will pass me by. If you are in these cryptos, you are about to get clobbered. In fact, I listened to a report today on CNBC because they were covering Fidelity's news that it's going to be allowing 401k retirement accounts to invest up to 20% of the portfolio in Bitcoin. Now, no other cryptocurrencies have been included in the plan, although they indicated that maybe Ether and other cryptos would ultimately be added. But for now, it's just Bitcoin and 20%. Now, why don't they let you invest whatever you want? Why can't you invest 100%? Well, obviously they have a fiduciary responsibility not to allow people to gamble 100% of their retirement account on Bitcoin, but apparently they think they could let them gamble 20% on Bitcoin. Now, to me, I think that's a very high allocation to nothing. I mean, most people really shouldn't throw away 20% of their retirement account Bitcoin can go to zero. I mean, that's a lot of money to lose when it comes to retirement, especially if you consider not just the 20% that you lose, but the profits that you forego. Because let's say you had another 20 or 30 years of retirement income. Well, you can no longer compound that money because you've lost it. So the actual losses relative to how much money is lost is going to be much bigger when you look at all the profits that are foregone because the money that might have generated those profits was lost and so it didn't have a chance to compound. But the interesting thing about the announcement was the coverage on CNBC because this is supposedly a network that's looking out for investors and not a word was mentioned on this being a bad idea that, hey, wait a minute, crypto is high risk and retirement 401ks, that's not where you want to do a lot of gambling. You don't want to gamble your retirement nest egg. You want to have more conservative investments. Yes, investments that will grow, but you don't want to take exorbitant risks with your retirement money. You should take these risks with money that you're not using for retirement. No warnings, no negative coverage. All they talked about was this as a positive development for the crypto industry which maybe it is because it allows the crypto industry to unload more of their worthless crypto on investors, but it's not good news 
for Fidelity customers who have 401k plans and now are going to gamble and basically throw away up to 20% of their retirement on digital pyramid scheme, no words of warning, no comments that, hey, maybe this is some type of top. We're stretching, we're expanding, we're trying to grow the pyramid by suckering in more people and now we're opening this up to 401k. Nothing like that. It was all good news for the industry and no coverage of it being bad news for the investors who are being suckered into wasting their retirement money by CNBC itself. That network is dedicated to trying to con its viewers into throwing away money on crypto to enrich their advertisers. And they continued to be true to form with this coverage. The interesting thing, though, is despite this announcement, Bitcoin still went down. Crypto still went down. So it shows me that, yes, they are still suckering new people in, but it's not enough to let the existing people out. That even though more people are coming in to the crypto pyramid, the price keeps falling because it's not enough to sustain it. And at some point, it's going to be a waterfall. Spring is in full bloom. Are your finances? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, you can build credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments, all with no annual fees or interest. With Chime's Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details. These days, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make all kinds of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs in towns and cities across the country. And jobs bring pride purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Bitcoin is going to collapse and all the other cryptos are going to go with it. It's just a matter of time and time is running out. So people should act fast. If they're still in crypto, they should read the writing on the wall and get out. And in fact, you've got a bit of a gift horse. We've had a nice pullback in the gold mining stocks over the last seven days. In fact, while I was expecting kind of like a Black Monday type big drop in tech stocks on Monday, we did get a 5% drop in some stocks, but not the tech stocks that I expected. It was in the gold stocks. They got clobbered on Monday. I think it was about 5% for the GDX. The GDX was down another 2% today. That's 16% down in seven days. But seven days ago, the index hit a 52-week high. In fact, it was a multi-year high. 
it's not often that you go from 52-week high to almost a bear market. I mean, 16%, another 4%, and we're a bear market. How is it that you can go from a 52-week high to a bear market in, what, less than 10 days? I mean, we could easily do it if we go down another 4%. This just shows you how steep this wall of worry is that gold stocks are climbing because the market investors are just so skittish. They are dumping their gold stocks even before they dump their tech stocks. The catalyst, I think, for the decline on Monday and the decline on Tuesday continues to be inflation and the fact that inflation is getting worse, not better. And the reason that bad inflation is somehow bearish for gold is the markets believe that the Fed is going to have to get more aggressive. They're going to have to raise rates even higher. They're going to have to be quicker with their rate hikes. The rate hikes are going to have to be bigger. And that's what's hurting gold. In fact, that's what's powering the dollar. The dollar continues to move higher, namely against European currencies. But if you look at the dollar index, we're now above 102. We closed today at 102 spot 3.4. And yields have been falling. Bond prices have been rising. The yield on the 10-year is back down to 2.772. The yield on the 30-year is down to 2.869. And on the 5-year, we're back down to 2 spot 797. Now, remember, the 5-year was above 3%, and the 10 and the 30-year were just below 3%. Why are bond yields falling with inflation expectations rising. Because again, the enemy of bonds is inflation. The more inflation you have, the more purchasing power is eroded in bonds. And so if inflation is going up, bond prices should go down. Bond investors should demand higher rates to compensate them for the loss of purchasing power due to higher inflation. Except what the bond investors are factoring in is that the Fed is gonna get more aggressive to fight an even larger inflation threat. And so the economy is gonna be pushed into recession. That's what the bond investors are thinking. And ultimately that recession is gonna result in lower, not higher long-term interest rates. And that is being factored in. I think the stock market is also factoring in the same thing. Fortune favors the bold, the strong, and the brave. For your business to break out from anything that's holding it back, you need business checking as brave as you are. That's why I'm introducing Novo Business Checking. Novo is powerfully simple business checking. And unlike traditional banking models, Novo has no minimum balances, no transaction limits, no hidden fees at all. Instead of a one-size-fits-all approach, Novo is customized to your business to save you time and free up cash flow with seamless integration to Stripe, Shopify, QuickBooks Online, and more. Sign up for Novo for free and join the community of over 150,000 fearless small businesses who've already found this customizable business checking solution. So sign up today for a free business checking account right now at novo.co slash goal. Plus, Peter Schiff Show listeners can get access to over $5,000 worth of perks and discounts. Just go to novo.co slash gold. That's N-O-V-O dot C-O slash gold to sign up for free. Novo.co slash gold. Novo's platform is fintech, so it's not a bank. But banking services are provided by Middlesex Federal Savings FA, member FDIC. Terms and conditions apply. 
In fact, one of the big losers in today's stock market was General Electric. The stock was down better than 10% on the close. And the catalyst for today's decline were earnings. And the reason the earnings were in trouble was the company warned about the impact of rising prices for their costs and supply chain bottlenecks for delaying their production. And so this is why their earnings were going to miss. And so the stock went down. This just shows you the damage that inflation is doing right now throughout the economy, specifically with regard to companies and the pressure it's putting on their costs, which obviously are ultimately going to be borne by their customers. But I think an even more significant example of the damage that the decline in the stock market is going to do to the economy was the announcement after the bell by Robinhood that they would be cutting 9% of their workforce. Now, shares of Robinhood, which were already down at a new all-time low prior to the announcement, went down again after the announcement and after hours trading. We almost got below $9 a share. I think we got down to about 9.30. We've snapped back a little bit. We're trading at about 9.56. The stock closed at 10. The intraday low during normal hours was 9.85, which took out the previous low of 9.93. If you look at where the stock was trading at its lows in the after hours, the stock is down 89%. Again, this is one of the darlings. Everybody loved this stock, particularly during COVID as people were staying at home and gambling their stimulus money using their Robinhood app. And I was warning about this company, warning about the bubble in real time. A lot of people are out there touting this. They were saying this is great. We have a whole new crop of investors who have a whole new way of investing. And I pointed out that we have a bunch of fools that have money they didn't earn and they don't know anything about investing. It's not a new way of investing. It's just the old way of gambling. And they're going to lose. They're throwing their money away. And a lot of people, again, on CNBC, that network, they were afraid to call out what people on Robinhood were doing. They didn't want to criticize them because they didn't want to be accused of not getting it, not being with it, you know, being boomers, and they just didn't get the new technology and the new way to invest. What they should have done is acted responsibly and told all these kids who were trading on Robinhood, hey, you guys are going to lose your money. You don't know what you're doing. You may have a new technology, but you haven't rewritten history. The rules of investing still apply. Just because you're investing through an app on your iPhone doesn't mean that the fundamentals of investing have suddenly changed. No, you have a new way to invest, but the ways to evaluate investments, they haven't changed. Nobody has rewritten the rules. I mean, Graham and Dodd's security analysis still applies, right? It's like basic laws of physics or thermodynamics, you know, those laws don't change as you have more complex systems. I mean, they stay the same. It doesn't matter. And these laws of investing, these are tried and true principles. They need to be passed down for the generations. And it's up to the older generation to educate the young generation. It's not up to the young generation to educate their parents and their grandparents. What the hell do they know? They don't know anything. You gain this knowledge through wisdom and experience that comes as you get older. You're not born with it. It's not something that's hardwired into your DNA. You have to learn stuff. You have to get taught stuff. Every generation grows up thinking they know everything. And then they find out how little they know. And then they proceed to learn stuff. And when they get older, well, then they know what they thought they knew when they were younger. And now you have a bunch of kids who are about to lose all their money, which again is okay because they're kids. They don't have that much money to lose. And what they're gonna gain may be more valuable than the money they lose 
which is a lesson, a valuable life lesson that will hopefully help them avoid these mistakes in the future. The question is, what's the excuse that the adults have? Because there are some older people who are going to lose all their money, and that's very unfortunate because it took them a lifetime to earn it, and they don't have another lifetime to earn it back after they lose it. But the point I really want to make on this story is Robinhood is cutting its workforce. Why? Well, it doesn't have any money. Robinhood is losing money. And so it doesn't have money to pay its workers. Now, where was it getting money to pay its workers? Well, it sold stock to investors and it took that cash and it used it to pay its workers because it's not able to pay workers from its profits because it doesn't have any profits. Well, now it has to try to reduce its burn. It has to slow down how much money it's losing. Well, they got to cut costs. Well, layoff people, they got to reduce their headcount. And that's what's going on. And that's why I've been talking about the fact that the stock market going down in and of itself will cause a recession. And that is something that the Fed is completely in denial of because all these Fed guys and gals who are talking about all these rate hikes, it's all prefaced on the fact that we've got the super strong economy with a red hot labor market and it can take it. Well, it can't take it because the stock market going into a bear market means recession. So if the Fed through hiking rates or talking about hiking rates to fight inflation, puts the stock market into a bear market and we will be in one, they will put the economy into recession. And I know I've mentioned this before, but it's a point that I need to reiterate because it's that important and nobody else is making it. I mean, I'm the only one talking about this. Now, I think that the mainstream media is going to talk about it too, but after it happens, right? They're not going to forecast it like I am. They'll report about it after it's already happened, in which case there's no opportunity to do anything about it. But There are two primary factors. One is the wealth effect. And I know if the media is going to get anything early, it'll be the wealth effect because this one is more obvious. And so maybe they can get it. But obviously, if your stock portfolio goes way down and you're less wealthy, people reduce their spending because they don't feel as rich. And in fact, a lot of people don't save that much because they figure the stock market is doing their savings for them. They watch their stock portfolios going up and that gives them more confidence just to spend more of their income because they're getting rich off of stock market appreciation. Well, if the stock market tanks and a lot of that money is gone, particularly money in your retirement account, and now you're worried that you may not have enough money to retire, what do you do? You better stop spending. You better reduce your spending and start saving more so you can put more money into your IRA, into your 401k, because you just lost so much of what you thought you had in the stock market. Well, if the economy is 70 something percent consumer spending and consumers have to stop spending so they can start saving again, well, we're going to have a recession. But The other factor that nobody is talking about is employment. And this is what I talked about many times. And this is what Robinhood is proving because I talked about this long before Robinhood made this announcement this afternoon. I pointed out that there were lots of money losing companies in America that had large workforces. How are these money losing companies paying their workers? I mean, there's no profits out of which to pay the workers. They're losing money. They're paying the workers with the money they get from investors. Well, why are investors willing to give money losing companies money? Because they're gambling that the stock price of these money losing companies go up. And now some of these companies aren't even publicly traded yet. You have a lot of venture capitalists 
putting money in in private rounds of financing, even though the companies are losing money because they hope the companies will go public and then the investors will cash out and make money. But in the meantime, the companies who are raising this money from investors, they use that money to pay their workers. Now we're in bear markets. The bloom is off the rose. These stocks are collapsing 60, 70, 80%. All of a sudden, that money is gone. Nobody wants to put money into these private companies that hope to go public. The companies that already are public are burning through their cash and there's no way they're gonna be able to do secondary offerings to raise more in this market. So now these companies have to figure out how are we gonna survive well, again, we got to start laying off people. We got to reduce the burn. We got to reduce the headcount. And so a lot of people are losing their jobs as the stock market goes down. So people are spending less because they have less wealth. They're losing their jobs. And so they're definitely spending less because now they don't have any paychecks. We're going into recession, but inflation is still a problem. Again, what is the Fed going to do? Remember, Powell wouldn't answer that question. What do you do if the economy starts to materially slow, but inflation is still above target? Do you keep on tightening? Powell wouldn't answer that question. I know the answer to that question. No, they won't keep tightening. In fact, they will ease, despite the fact that inflation is worse than when they supposedly started the fight. In other words, they surrender, inflation wins the fight, and the markets still don't get that. 93% of your time is spent indoors, but so many of our favorite moments happen outdoors. The fresh air, the feeling of peace. Since warm summer weather is almost here, you want to make the most of it right now, and that's where Outer can help. Outer is a new outdoor furniture company with perfectly designed furniture to get you to spend more time outdoors. Outer makes some of the world's most beautifully comfortable, innovative, and high-quality outdoor furniture. And it's all made from sustainable materials. And it's the only outdoor furniture with a patented built-in cover to make protecting it effortless. From teak chairs to fire pit tables, everything Outer makes has the look and feel of everything you'd expect at a five-star resort but for less than what you'd pay at a big box store for something that won't last nearly as long. Outer is better in every way because they spent years perfecting outdoor products with stunning modular designs to customize your space. Life-proof materials with nano coating that's water mold, bleach, and stain resistance. Over 1,000 neighborhood showrooms across the country to see the outer difference in person and triple memory foam cushions that are more comfortable than most indoor sofas. Outer's patented built-in outer shell cover protects your furniture from rain and dew. It's the why didn't anyone think of this before invention that made Shark Tank's Lori Greer and Mr. Wonderful fight to invest. Outer furniture comes with best-in-class warranties, like 10 years for their chic aluminum line, and they offer a two-week trial with free returns. And one of the things I really find intriguing about Outer is not only do these personal showrooms provide an excellent opportunity for customers to see in real homes how the furniture looks and feels, but it also gives you the opportunity to generate a little cash flow on your own by turning your home into a showroom. To see the difference for yourself, go to liveouter.com gold. Plus, for a limited time, you can get $300 off and free shipping. This is Outer's best offer anywhere, and it's only available to podcast listeners and only for a limited time. Get $300 off and free shipping at liveouter.com slash gold. That's liveouter.com slash gold. Liveouter.com slash gold. Terms and conditions apply. And in fact, it's not just tech stocks that are going to be affected. You also have a lot of hedge funds out there. though They're not as big an employer as tech stocks, but in certain areas of the country, you know, New York, Connecticut, maybe Northern California, Florida, they have a greater impact. But a lot of hedge funds, 
they're going to be laying people off too. I mean, look at what just happened with Melvin Capital. Melvin Capital, this is the hedge fund that lost a ton of money short GameStop. They were the original victim of the meme stock short squeeze. So they lost a bunch of money. The way hedge funds operate is they charge a 2% management fee, but generally that 2% management fee covers their overhead. Where they make their money is in their incentive fee, and that's 20% of the profits. That's standard. I mean, there's some of these hedge funds that take 30% or 40%, but the standard is 20%. Now, all of this, I think, is ridiculous. They are all overpaid. I think these hedge funds are raping their clients with these fees. I mean, I think my managed accounts, which in my opinion, I run like a global macro hedge fund, I don't take any percentage of the profits. I mean, I have a 2% fee as a max, but a lot of my clients are paying 1% because they have over a million dollars and now I'm charging 1% on the excess above a million. You give a hedge fund 10 million or 20 million, there's no break. You're still paying 2% and you're giving them 20% of the profits. I don't take any percent of my profits. And I think our accounts over the last one year, three year and five years are doing a lot better than a lot of these hedge funds that are charging considerably more to do a worse job. But the key is that they need that 20% of the profits to really make any money. Well, if you have a big drop like Melvin Capital, you have to return to the previous high watermark before you can start charging those fees. And so if you don't know what that means, let's say I invest $10 million in a hedge fund and the hedge fund has a horrible year, they lose 40%, and now my $10 million is down to $6 million. Now, they've got to get me back up to $10 million before they can start charging me any fees. So if I've got six and they need to make me four, that's a 67% gain that they have to make me and they can't charge me anything. Now, they can still charge me the 2%, but that's not enough. They need that 20% How are they going to get me 67%? What if it takes them three or four years to get me back to my high water mark before they can eventually start to charge me something? They may not be able to survive for that length of time. So what Melvin Capital tried to do, sent a letter out to its shareholders and said, you know what? We're going to send you all back your money. We're closing down the fund, but then you can send us brand new money and we'll manage that. Why did they want to do that? Because when they close down their existing fund and open a brand new fund, there's no more high watermark. So in other words, if a guy had 10 million and I sent him back six, and then they sent the six in to my new fund and I got them from 6 million to 7 million, well, I can charge 20% of that million. Even though they're still down 3 million overall, I get to charge them an incentive fee on profits that aren't really profits because my client is still down. Now the clients basically reacted very badly. There was an uproar. And I think a lot of clients just said, fine, send me my money back. I ain't giving you anything. This is ridiculous. You've lost me all this money and you know, you're know you not going to work to make it back. I mean, what kind of partnership is this? Heads you win, tails I lose, right? And so then Melvin Capital did a mea culpa and they're like, crap, we can't do that. Okay, forget about it. 
you know, we're going to continue to operate. But the point is that this is going to cost them a lot of money. They have to keep managing money without the 20% of the profits for who knows how many years. And if the stock market tanks and most of these hedge funds are just riding the fang wave, I mean, they're not that smart. They're just buying the same overvalued crap everybody else is buying. They're just charging more money to do it. They're not doing a lot of hedging. I mean, traditionally, hedge funds were hedged. But now they're just leveraged long. There's no real hedging going on because the Fed corrupted the whole process. And hedge funds, most of them are going to get killed. Now, there are some hedge funds that will make money. There are some hedge funds that are short. But the vast majority are going to get killed in this tech wreck. And now what are they going to do when their clients are down 40, 50, 60, 70%? Are they going to work for two, three, four, five years to get back to the high watermarks and survive just on their 2% management fees. And of course, the management fees are down. If the accounts are down, the management fees are down too. Yes, it's the same percentage, but the dollar amount is down. But meanwhile, the cost of operating their businesses are going up because they're the victims of inflation too. They might not understand it when it comes to investing, but they're going to feel it when it comes to operating a business. All their employees are going to demand higher wages because they have higher bills and their landlord is going to be raising their rents. And if they have any debt, their own interest costs are going up. So they're going to be dealing with rising costs and falling revenues. What do they do? Lay people off, right? A lot of different industries are going to be laying people off. Again, General Electric. I don't know that they announced any layoffs, but they're probably coming. That's how you can afford to pay some workers more money is you reduce the number of workers. So you fire a bunch of workers, so you save enough money so you can pay the other workers more money. Otherwise, you have no workers. Everybody's going to leave because no one's going to work unless they can earn enough money to pay the bills. So in order to pay some workers, you got to pay other workers nothing. So you got to give some workers pink slips in order to give other workers raises. But all of that is going to compound the problem for the Fed because it puts them in that stagflation dilemma. They've got an inflation problem that's getting worse, but now they have a recession that's getting worse and an unemployment problem that's getting worse. Plus, look at the data that came out today on home prices. First, we got the Case-Shiller Home Price Index. It was up 2.4% on the month. That was much bigger than the 1.5% rise that was expected. In fact, it was greater than the 1.7% from the prior month, which was originally reported as up 1.8. But that's still two big back-to-back numbers. Year over year, this Case-Shiller Home Price Index is now up 20 0.2%. Meanwhile, owners equivalent rent, which is supposed to be a proxy for home prices or rents, whatever, but it's a proxy for neither. That's only up about what, four and a half percent or five, something like that. But actual home prices, the price that people pay to buy a real home, up 20.2% on the year, according to Case Schiller. The FHFA house price index also had a 2.1% jump on the month of February that beat the consensus for a 1.6% increase and year over year almost as big as the case shiller up 19.4%. This represents the increase in the cost of buying a home. We're talking about 20% annual increases that dwarf the official rate of inflation, but those prices actually are far more reflective of what's actually happening to consumer prices than the highly rigged CPI. And finally, another piece of news that actually broke yesterday that added to the inflation fears was the news that Indonesia is gonna be banning the export of palm oil 
from the country. Now, palm oil is used to produce about 60% of all the vegetable oil shipped worldwide. Indonesia has about one-third of the vegetable oil market and 50% of the palm oil market. So this is a big deal. Indonesia is a major exporter here, and now all of that supply is going to be missing from the market. It's going to stay in Indonesia, and no one else is going to get to use it. Now, why is Indonesia doing this? Well, the politicians are trying to solve a problem because the voters are upset because palm oil prices are rising, and people use this to cook, and you can see that prices are going way up. And so the politicians want to get votes, and so they want to pretend that they're doing the Indonesian people a favor. And so they're passing this law that will make it illegal to export any of this palm oil. And so obviously you're increasing the domestic supply because all of the supply that was exported is now stuck in Indonesia. And so you've increased supply and that means price is going to come down. And that is going to allow these politicians to claim credit for reducing the price of palm oil or vegetable oil. And now people can say, oh, great, we elected these people. And look, they solved our problems. They passed the law to make the price of my vegetable oil go down, right? And that's a win for the politicians, except it's a lose for the people because politicians don't have a magic wand. Remember, there's always two factors involved. There is the seen and then there's the unseen. Now, what's seen is the immediate reduction in the price of palm oil, vegetable oil. And the voters can see that, the politicians know the voters can see that, and so they love it. They get credit for the good thing. But what nobody notices, or at least attributes to this law, is the fact that the price of everything else is going to go up. And so the Indonesian people are gonna end up being worse off as a result of this export ban, not better off. Now, why is that? Well, Indonesia earns a lot of revenue from exporting palm oil. Well, if they're not gonna export it anymore, well, they're not gonna have that revenue. Now, what does Indonesia do with the money it earns through exports? Well, it uses that money to pay for its imports. It doesn't print the reserve currency like the United States. They just can't run off rupee on a printing press and say, hey, take this. No, people want real stuff like vegetable oil. And so Indonesia is able to export vegetable oil and then take the earnings and import something else. Well, now they can import something else. So while the supply of vegetable oil is going to go up in Indonesia, the supply of all other goods that used to be imported is going to go down. And so that means the price of those goods is going to go up. So the Indonesian people are going to have to pay higher prices for all sorts of goods. Yeah, they're going to pay lower prices for palm oil, but they're going to pay higher prices for just about everything else. Now, from the politician's perspective, they don't care because how many voters in Indonesia are going to make the connection? Are they going to realize that those other prices are up because of this export ban? No. They're going to say it's because of greedy businesses gouging the customers. And if they don't come to that conclusion on their own, well, the politicians will say that. The politician will accuse all these businesses that are raising their prices, and they're going to say, you're gouging the customers when they're raising the prices because the goods that they want to sell are no longer there because we no longer have the export revenue to pay for the imports because you idiots banned one of our best exports. The fact that palm oil prices are up, that's great for Indonesia. Export more palm oil, earn more money. That's a positive. If you're looking at your country as a business and now one of your products is really in good demand and you're making a lot of money selling it, why would you cut off that market? 
I mean, it makes no sense. Talk about cutting off your nose to spite your face. This is what politicians always do. They don't give a damn about what's good for the country. All they care about is what's good for themselves. The people are upset that these particular prices are rising, so the politicians figure out a way to solve that problem in the process to create other problems. And not only does this screw up their exports and therefore increase the price of their imports, but it results in a price of palm oil in Indonesia that is lower than the real price because the real price exists outside of Indonesia, which in fact rises even more without the Indonesian supply on the market. But you have a situation where palm oil is too cheap and therefore it will be overutilized in Indonesia because there will be more demand for palm oil because the price is low. What the government should allow to happen in Indonesia is for the market to try to cut back on the use, economize. If the price of something is going up, the free market would tell you to use less of it, to try to find substitutes, or maybe to even increase production. They're not going to increase production. There's going to be a glut of production already. I mean, the last thing that you would do if you were a palm oil manufacturer in Indonesia is produce more palm oil because you can't even sell the palm oil you've got outside of the country. You're stuck now with a glut and you're having to sell it at below global market prices. You're not going to produce any more. Whereas if the government allowed these companies to export as much as they wanted into the global market, they would produce more and more. So all these politicians are distorting the economy. They're creating less than optimal decisions on the part of consumers, on the part of producers. There's a misallocation of resources. Everybody's standard of living is lowered. Why? Why are all these people being sacrificed? They're being sacrificed on the political altar of re-election for politicians. That's why democracies in and of themselves are so inherently flawed as a political system. Because that's the only way you get these dumb things being done. It's only because people care about getting elected that they would do something this stupid. If they didn't have to get elected, if they weren't counting on the votes of the masses, people who are gullible and don't understand, nobody would knowingly do this. Why would you intentionally do something? Because it's not hard to show why this is bad. But politicians don't care. They are willing to sacrifice good economics for good politics because generally those things are mutually exclusive. What's good for the economy is bad politics and what's good politics is bad for the economy. And these politicians always choose their own reelection over the economy. And the problem with democracy is sometimes you actually get an honest guy who gets elected and he actually cares about the economy. And so he's willing to sacrifice some poll numbers and lose some political support to do what's right. The problem is those guys don't last very long. They don't stay in office. Because remember, these guys have to constantly get reelected. And if you're a politician who is not putting the poll numbers above the economy, if you're not putting your own interest above the country's interest, you're not going to be in elected office very long because you're going to lose because somebody else is going to call you out on the fact that you did something that wasn't politically popular and you're not going to stay in office. The people that stay in office the most are the ones that are the least honest. They're the ones who are willing to make the biggest sacrifices on the part of their people to continue to get votes. And so in any election, the winner is going to be whoever is making decisions that are motivated by politics, 
not by economics. So all the good, honest people get weeded out and all you're left with is the corrupt people. Now, sometimes how some of the honest people rationalize making bad decisions is they tell themselves, well, I know what's good for the country, but if I do what's good for the country, I'm not going to get reelected. So I'm going to do what's bad for the country anyway so I can get reelected because if I don't get reelected, somebody else who's even worse than me will get elected. So in order to prevent somebody from doing even more damage, I'm going to do damage myself just because I'm going to do less damage than the guy who would replace me if I did the right thing, which proves that this is a bad system, a system that encourages and rewards people for deliberately hurting the very people that they've been elected to serve can't possibly succeed. And that is why all these democracies fail. They eventually collapse because of this very dynamic. And what accelerates it is the belief that you can get something for nothing. You have paper money. You have all these politicians promising the equivalent of a free lunch. They don't have to raise taxes. Everybody can have government programs and all they do is print the money. And that's what we've been doing. We've been doing that for years, for decades. And that's why we are on the verge of a currency crisis, not just in America, but around the world. It's just that the US dollar is at the epicenter of this currency crisis. And the fact that the dollar is going up now, well, this is its last swan song. This is like a last gasp of a drowning man who maybe can make it up to the surface one more time before going down. That is what's going on with the dollar. This is an opportunity to sell. The inverse of that is gold. People still don't get that we are witnessing basically the death throes of this dollar-based fiat currency system. And what is ultimately going to be reborn when this system dies is a global gold standard. Gold is the only money that works. It's worked in the past. It will work in the future. We're highlighting that now with these sanctions because gold is the only monetary asset that isn't somebody else's liability. People want to control their reserves. They want to own something real with intrinsic value, not something that can be created by central bankers and conjured into existence out of thin air that has no intrinsic value, whose value comes exclusively from confidence and the confidence that central banks won't overissue it. The confidence that central banks will fight inflation. Well, People still have that confidence, but it's completely misplaced. It's completely unearned. And that confidence is going to be lost. And when the confidence is lost, the game is over because it's like a con game. And what makes a con game work is the confidence. And you lose the confidence, the game is over.